good evening. Oh, it's good to be here. Um, it's a. Uh, I just loved that worship set. It was good. I was back there, and usually I try to read through some of my notes before I come up here. And then they went into, like, the hem version of it as well. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to sing this song. So if I just start reading off this thing, I'm sorry because I just didn't study as much. Usually I'm going to study for four minutes right before I come on stage. That's a That was a joke. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're in our second, actually before. And jump farther in. We have these printouts of, you know, just in case you got lost in the 10-minute announcement video we just had. Uh, that was really long. <laughs> There's a lot of things they mentioned. We have all of our stuff that's coming up. There's a lot of stuff going on here and out, and also some services where we won't have Saturday night services just because it butts up against some stuff. So be sure to grab one on your way out, put it on your fridge so you know there's things coming up. All those things, I'm not going to go back in to mention them because uh, it'll uh, just drag on forever. So anyway, we're in our second uh, sermon of our holiday hurts. And there's just, it's, it's a, there's, sometimes it's just heavy. I was, I was, it was heavy making this, this sermon this week. And, um, you know, we're entering the season right now where happy Thanksgiving, we're, uh, we're going to go to Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And really, as the end of the year approaches, everywhere we turn, we're kind of commanded and demanded to be happy, right? Like, happy this and happy that, happy. Um, but for those who have lost someone recently, um, someone they love, the holidays can, can seem more like something to survive than enjoy. Um, the traditions... The events that can add so much joy uh, somehow kind of work opposite and they're painful reminders of what life used to be like. Um, yeah, many, many of us or many of them really wish that they could just kind of steal away and then just come show back up until January 2nd, ready for life to start back into the normalcy. Um, well, those of us who surround grieving people can't really fix what's going on in their life, uh, we can bring comfort, we can bring some sort of hope um, with some special sensitivity to, to what grief looks like during the holidays. We can bring that. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. That's why I said it's a little bit heavy. I know that. But um, we're going to be talking about and just some encouragement for those that have lost people who are still struggling in that or maybe... Um, learn some ways that we can actually speak some truth and be a loving friend to somebody that has lost someone. Um, this loss could also, obviously from death, but also I'm addressing somebody that is divorced, somebody that is recently separated or, or um, isn't, isn't in the same town even as friends and family, has relocated to another country, whatever it is. Experiencing loss can be experienced in a, in a number of ways, and those situations bring in other things such as not having children on that special day or not getting to see your family in a certain way that you used to. And it really, it causes a lot of grief. So um, it brings up a lot of different feelings of loneliness, of fear, of anger maybe, of, of bitterness. Um, maybe it just brings on loads of questions. You have a lot of questions that never were answered. Well, today we're just going to look at that and look at what scripture says and um, 
when we dive in, and we're, I think we have this on the screen, 2 Corinthians, this is Paul talking. And he's talking about the Christian and what we have and to take joy in. And he encourages us this way. He's speaking to the people that are being persecuted. They're suffering. And he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And then we jump to 16 and 17. It says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all, all, all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Father God, I pray that you work through this sermon. And maybe there's somebody that is here tonight that doesn't know how to love their loved one, doesn't know how to speak truth to them, doesn't know how to hold their hand during this time of grief that they're going through. Or maybe some of us here are still grieving a loved one. We lost somebody special. I pray that this sermon, uh, you use it to be an ointment to our soul, to heal us, to help us take steps, and that we can lean into joy this Christmas season. In your name I pray, amen. So Paul like I just read, Paul tells us to focus on eternal things, not the temporary. Okay, thanks, Paul. <laughs> like, this isn't great. Like, this is great. It's a great, like, it makes me think, I don't know if any, has anybody seen the movie Rudy? Like, Rudy, he's, and he goes in and he, like, plays the record and he does, like, the whole mimicking of him, like, doing the uh, the up like chant before the Notre Dame goes outside. Like he's in the he's in the <laughs> locker room doing it and like reciting it and he's getting amped. It's like that. That's what Paul is doing here. Like, hey, you've got this, you've got this. No matter what the affliction is, you're not destroyed. You're crushed, but you're not all the way broken. We've got this. That's what this is. But then he's like, hey, think you know, look at the look at the things that are unseen and not the seen. They're transient. Think about the eternal. Great advice. It is good advice. But Paul, I, I'm sad. <laughs> I'm, I can't eat or sleep. I'm lonely and depressed, broken and confused. Yes, I know I have hope and a faith in the future, but I'm not in the future. I'm here right now, Paul. What am I supposed to do? I'm here crying. No one knows what to say to me. What about right now? Some of you are there right now. Some of us are there right now. Somebody online, you're there right now. That's why you're not here. Some of us will encounter a family member over some turkey this coming week who is struggling. With this, my advice is don't preach at them. Just be there. When the time is right, you can mention the prescription that comes from Philippians 4 
which uh, works for last week as well, against anxiety. It works against fear. It works against all these things. Because in Philippians 4, he tells us to pray. Thank God for the good in our lives. Thank God for the good things. And if you have nothing good in your life, you're still alive. You're still breathing. You've got somebody that loves you, even if you don't know them by name. Just thank, thank God that somebody out there loves me. I, know who, I don't know who it is right now. Thank you that I have breath. Thank you that I made it through COVID. Whatever it is, you thank him for those things. And then it says to dwell and think on those good things. Think on pure things. Think on righteous things. Think on great things. And what happens is when we do that, he says the supernatural peace is what shows up. Supernatural peace cover us, covers us in a way that can't be described. The world can't comprehend it. That's where it comes from. Because if we remain in the midst of this, don't get me wrong, there's a grieving process and everyone grieves differently. I'm not judging you for taking your time to grieve. It's not like that. Take your time. Everybody grieves in their own way. But when you stay stuck in a, a loop of replaying things and not eating and just being so sad that you can't get out of the house and just entering into depression, you can't do these things, and you're not making an effort to change those things, this is that. Think on good things. Thank him for the good things. Not just, thanks God for those, count your blessings, like the song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. You know that song? Count your blessings. Yeah, I grew up in a traditional church. Um, anyway, it's a prescription. It's, it's one of the times in Scripture where it says, when you do this, this is what happens. When you do this, this is what happens. When you pray, ask, ask for those specific things, ask God to heal your mind, to help you be joyful, help you do these things, and thank him for the good things in your life, and then start to dwell on those good things in your life, God will send that peace, the peace that you so desperately want. And it's not just the peace that we know, like, oh, there's, and my group of friends were finally peaceful with each other because fantasy football's over. It's peaceful. No, it's supernatural peace. But then, we also have this other thoughts come in, even if we're doing this. We have, we encounter thoughts or even some people that just run up on us and say, man, and it's, and it's good. It's always like a good nature. It's not like bad, but they're like, I can't believe this is happening to you. I can't believe, like you, you're a good person. You're a good guy. You're a good woman. I see you go to church. I see you read your Bible. I can't believe this is happening. I don't understand. I don't, I don't, I just don't get it. People, of course, it may be surprising that whatever happened, happened in our lives. Maybe our lost, our loved one was taken right away and we're like, oh, that's surprising. Yes, but it doesn't matter how good of a person you are. That doesn't come into play. When people are surprised that a good person goes through suffering or hardships or even struggles with some sort of disease and people are surprised be because, man, this man or woman is, of God is suffering, we kind of have the wrong view of this life. Suffering, pain, hardship, 
should surprise no one that calls himself a believer. Um, suffering is, is a major theme in Scripture throughout time, not just here's something about suffering. It's throughout time. And suffering occurs not just to like these random people. They suffered for many years and died like that. No. It, people, it, it seems like the people that shouldn't have suffered, suffered numerous times over and over again. Um, it's easy to pick. I mean, David, <laughs> David is kind of interesting because I always think of David like he, he seems a bit schizophrenic in the way that uh, he writes psalms. But, and also David is kind of an interesting one in this one because some of the stuff he, he did it himself. That's why I identify with David. Like, <laughs> I put myself here, but now I'm suffering. God, what am I, where are you? But he'll go from one chapter to the next chapter, and he'll say, uh, you're so, I'm so near to your heart. You fill me up. Your waters restore me. And then you turn the page, and it's like, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, and how long are you going to be gone? Can you tell me that right now? I really need to know. Then you turn the page and it says, I trust you in all things. Everything I have is yours. From the mountain hills I used to climb as a young lad. So poetic. And then you turn the page again. How long will you forsake me? Where are, do you even exist? Like, David is, uh, David is a man. That's what I'll say. Hey, women, you can have that one. Um, but when we see what Paul says, a little bit different. A man who lived through some of the, some some huge junk. And in Second Corinthians eleven, uh, he talks about that a little bit. I think I have that too. I'm not sure. Um, verse uh, chapter eleven, twenty two through twenty nine says, "Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman." with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Now this is where he starts flexing all the junk in his life. <laughs> Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. He says that less one because the next one is supposed to kill you. That's why they left one off. That's just a little history lesson for you right there. You're welcome. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I drifted at sea. I don't ever want to do that in my life. He's done it three times. Lost at sea. I've seen Jaws. Uh, whoa, I got, a, I, got a del I got a delayed laugh. That was weird. Uh, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from what my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. Danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily exposure on me and the anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Paul went through some junk over and over again. That doesn't even include him going blind, like, oh, and wandering around trying to figure out who Jesus was that showed up on the road. He had a tough life. Uh, Matt Chandler quotes, he says this. He says this about Paul. He says this about us, actually. 
He says, when we look at Paul, we really want Pauline theology, but we don't want Pauline pain. We want that faith that he's like, I did this. We want, we want to be able to say, right here, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. He, he planned, and no one's saying it. No, one, no one's coming at him like, no, you're not. Isn't that arrogant? No, he's speaking the truth because he knows it. He knows who he is in Christ, and he's able to say it. We want that, but, man, we don't want the pain. Because typically the Pauline theology comes with Pauline pain. It comes with suffering. That's what gives us that deep down burden for Jesus because we know where we've been and what he's got us through. But you have to go through it to get there, which is hard. Now, as we continue talking about other people in Scripture, look, I mean, we look at Moses. Moses, I, feel, I really feel bad for the guy. He wandered around for 40 years in a desert, first of all, I sweat in air conditioning, so that's terrible right there. But he's wandered around with, for 40 years with people that just complained over and over again. Sometimes I feel like he wandered for so long because he literally was just trying to walk away. He was like, they're looking the wrong way. I'm going to go over that sand dune. Maybe they won't find me. But no, they, they were stuck out there. And then the kicker was, here's the promised land, Moses. You don't get to go. You can see it. It's right there. You're not going. Joshua's going to take the mantle. You're going to die right here. No one knows where you're buried. There's not some temple built to Moses. You ever heard of that? Nope. He died a man without anything. The world would say, right? Died without riches, without, without a house, without water. They were in the desert. <laughs> suffered. He suffered. John the Baptist, he sends word to Jesus from prison. He says, are you the one or should we keep looking? Worried. I, I feel like this is a, he knew who he was. I mean, John the Baptist, you read some of the stuff and he's bold. He's, he's going for it. This is the one time where I think he's like, okay, I'm here in prison. I'm preaching about this guy. He's my cousin. I feel like I'm right. He sends him word. Jesus sends word back. And he quotes Isaiah. He says, tell John what you see, which is the blind will see, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the poor are, poor are cared for. But Isaiah has something else in that, which is prisoners are set free. Jesus doesn't include that. And he knows that. Obviously, John the Baptist was well-scholared. He knew, he knew scripture. So essentially, Jesus was telling his cousin, yes, I am the one, but you're going to die in prison. You're going to die. He suffered. Jesus himself, I'm not even going to have to go into all that, he suffered. Stephen, the first martyr, he suffered. He wasn't just hit with a rock and died. He was hit with many rocks over and over again until he died, probably calling out for Jesus to save him. These people suffered. Guys, I, I promise <laughs> this, when I was writing this and, and practicing this, I wasn't like, man, I'm going to preach a downer message. Or I'm going to preach an anti-prosperity gospel message, even though that's what it's kind of turned into. God definitely blesses. Don't get me wrong. But there isn't some sort of magical formula for that. If I read my Bible enough, if I pray enough, if I lead a small group enough, 
then God's just going to give me a new car. It ain't like that. How do I know that? I read scripture. <laughs> that doesn't happen. It's not because he's, I mean, don't get me wrong. God provides. God is a provider. Every time. Every time he provides. Probably not with a mansion. That's all I'm going to say about that. I'll just move on. Whoever that's for, take that. Um, we live in, in a broken world, and death is, is present all the time. I mean, we look around. Um, and it just, it's, it's, we, it's just messed up. And what really happens, well, in the midst of this pain that we're talking about, this, these sufferings, we ask questions. We start with, who is God? We start, re even no matter how saintly we feel, we start asking questions about who God is and what is his nature. Because our lives, no matter what, no matter how holy we are, it, we're self-centered. Like, why is this happening to me? We ask who God is. Like, what's his game plan here? What's, what's, what's his outcome? I don't get this. Then we, then we move on to, is this punishment? Did I do something wrong? That's what Job's friends came and said, right? They just were like, hey, you need to. They ended up saying, you need to curse God and die because he's obviously punishing you for something. He's doing something. You, you must have done something. I don't know why you're allowed to go through all this suffering. But God is a good God. How do you know that, Cody? How can you stand on the stage and say that God is good? Well, I can tell you he's good. He's a good God because he's good despite my circumstances. He was good at Peter's crucifixion. He was good while Stephen was stoned to death. He was good while John was executed, or I'm sorry, was, was exiled to an island and died alone. He was good when he didn't answer your prayer the way that you wanted He was still good when she left, when he left, when he lost that precious friend, your spouse, your loved one, that baby. God is and was still good. God is good because Jesus calls him good. And he says that in Luke 18, 19. No one is good but God alone. So God not only is called good, he is inherently good. Whatever God does is good because he is made up of goodness. He's not just powerful. He's not just mighty. He's not just controlling the seas with his voice, but he is good. And then... We, we say to ourselves, maybe not out loud, <laughs> but we say, what about that guy? <laughs> Why isn't this happening to that person? Why isn't this happening to Danielle? <laughs> Which, of course, is, I mean, I think most of us, when we get to that point, we know it's wrong. We know it's wrong to even think those thoughts. That's why we don't say them. We're like, but really, what about that guy? He's terrible. 
which of course is wrong. This goes back to not understanding that our plan is never as good as God's. And we don't see past that horizon. We don't get it. You know, I mentioned Job before, but Job, Job challenges God in the middle of the middle of the book. Um, I think we all would have got to that point too. Like, God, what are you doing? Like, and not just saying, what are you doing? Like, wh- I, I don't think this makes any sense anymore. What you're doing doesn't make sense, God. And I'm not going to read all of Job 38, but I encourage you to go read it. I think it's like 38 and it continues on. But it's one time in Scripture, well, I'm sure there's other ones, but it's one of the times in Scripture where you get to see God the Father kind of flexing about what he does on the daily. Um, like I said, I won't read the whole passage, but in verse 4 he says, and he's talking to Job, he's talking to Job, something he breathed life into and created. Like, that's, okay, okay. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Verse 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Essentially, he says, man, you don't have the ability to see how things match up and how I work behind the scenes. You got, you got no clue. You're worrying about this I'm worried about the entire universe. So know your role and shut your mouth, to quote The Rock. You remember that? Yeah, WWF. Oh, it's E now, but yeah. People's elbow. You got nothing over here. Okay, okay. Um, he later, at the end of that, he later challenges Job to just trust him, obey him, And things kind of turn around for Job. Job submits to that. Suffering in our lives um, brings, or, or, brings or it should bring empathy in our lives. That's the first thing of, of what I, I notice in most everybody's life is when they get through this rough time, they, they have more caring hearts. They show empathy more quickly. Um, it not really what happens is it knocks us off the throne of our life because again (laughs) we like to put ourselves there even unconsciously the why me statements give way to a want and a desire to help others who may be where you were once and you see that and you get to help them I'm not just talking about people in minute. I'm not just talking about people on stage. I'm not talking to people that are missionaries. I'm talking to every believer. We are all the body of Christ. And I, I, I didn't understand that until later on in life. But I'm telling you right now, Lindsay Abner can reach people I will never reach. Caleb in the back can speak to somebody that I don't have a relationship with, and not even if I had a relationship, his relationship might be so unique that he can speak Christ in a way that I never can or show it in some way. Everybody has unique gifts and unique stories so that we can share the gospel more effectively. But you got to do it. Otherwise, we're all like the people sharing are all feet. Like, oh, man, another foot. 
the body of Christ is really showing up today when we really need a thumb <laughs> or we really need a hand. Whatever you are, we, we need everybody, every personality type, every story that we can gather to reach as many people because we can't do it alone. It doesn't matter how good of a speaker or orator I am or Blake is, how good the band is, the friend at your work that we don't talk to isn't going to know Jesus unless you invite them, first of all, or talk to them about Jesus. Amen, Cody. You should keep preaching. But seriously, that wasn't even in here. I'm sorry. I'm going to keep moving on. Uh, empathy grows because we stop focusing on ourselves. The smartest, richest, wisest man ever. I don't know how he can be considered the, the smartest man alive with 700 wives or whatever, but, I mean, that just seems dangerous. That's all I got to say. Uh, but he says in his book, Ecclesiastes, in verse 7, it's better to be at a funeral than to be at a party. What? Who would, I mean, honestly, who in their right mind is like, you know what? Tonight it's going down. We're going to dance funeral. No one. No one is excited to go to a funeral. I can say that for parties. Like, yeah, it's New Year's Eve. We're going to go. I'll fall asleep at like 1030. But, you know, <laughs> whatever. I, I, but no one's getting excited to go to a funeral. But why, why does he say that? Why does he say that? Because when we attend funerals, we brush our elbows against death. We remember that life is short. And we remember what we should be living for. Strike that. Who we should be living for. That's why. That's why, that's why Solomon says it is better. Because it's better to be sober-minded. It's better to be here. It doesn't mean you can't have fun. And to be honest, there have been, there was one lady. It affected my life forever. Fifth grade. Fifth or sixth grade. Sandy, uh, I cannot remember her last name, Sandy, but she was my fifth or sixth grade teacher, and she got Lou Gehrig's disease and died with like in, within six months. It was like rapid decay. I was like, oh, I had never seen that happen in somebody's life. I don't think I even saw Lou Gehrig's disease until that point. She passed away very, very quickly, but those last six months of her life, she was like every day speaking somewhere everywhere, talking about how short life was, I'm going to make the best of it. Her funeral was a party. My home church probably had a, an auditorium that holds 2,500 people, and they brought chairs in. The funeral of this lady had over 2,500 people in it. She had balloons instead of flowers. That was one of the things she said. Like, I remember this. This is me in fifth grade. This is 1995. Um... <laughs> And I will never forget it because I left that saying, not for my sake, like literally, I don't, I want, I was like, I want that kind of funeral. I want that many, I want to affect that many people with my life. I want that, not because I wanted somebody at my funeral. To be honest, I don't care. <laughs> I just want them to know Jesus. And I know we all feel that way until the pressure hits us, until we give in to the suffering and so we give in to the depression, we give in to this uh, not today. I'm not picking on the people that are going through stuff. It's, it's hard. I know it. I'm not picking on the people that are, are clinically depressed. I, I understand that. I mean, I don't understand that. I'm not a doctor, but I'm not picking on, you, on those people. I'm saying 
And I'm not telling you just to pray it away. That does, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is don't stay there. Get help if you need help. Talk to your friends. Get, just figure it out. We've got to do something. Life is short. The evidence of, the evidence of God's love for you, I want you guys to remember this, this line. The evidence of God's love for you is not how comfortable you are, but it's found at the cross. It's seen in the, while you were yet sinners, I died for you. That's where we see Christ's love. It's not in the blessings we receive and monetary stuff or even the job stuff we have. Yes, those are awesome blessings. I'm not saying you have to be poor your whole life to serve Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is his love was demonstrated on the cross for you so many years ago, and it still rings true. It's still the basis for why we're here tonight. For my good, for his glory. That's how I want to live my life. I challenge you guys to do that as well. For, for my good, because that's what he wants. He wants for my good, but for his glory. That's what he wants. And he deserves it every day. So to shift years a little bit, um, grieving and suffering people, there's, I, I, may, I, I compiled a list of just, I mean, to be honest, I, I stole most of this stuff. This isn't my stuff. I, don't, I can admit that. I don't care. I compiled this list of things that are, um, that grieving people and people suffering through the holidays, um, some of the things that they wish their friends and family knew um, at Christmas time specifically. Number one is even the best times are punctuated with an awareness that something is missing. Uh, I remember a conversation <laughs> with my parents the first year I didn't have my wife anymore. I didn't have the kids that year for Christmas. Uh, it was a strange Christmas. We knew it was going to be strange, so we tried to like do something completely different. Um, and so we were at a, we were <laughs> a resort in Clearwater and having brunch on Christmas morning. It was beautiful. It was nice. I remember they had some like some some sort of ravioli that was really good. It was good. It was a good day. Uh, but um, there was obviously an awareness of this doesn't feel right. Something is different. And um, it was a gorgeous place, like I said. It, it, was, it just felt painfully incomplete. So your friends that may have lost a loved one, even when they're with family. I mean, I had my parents. I was there. Um, enjoying it. Even, even the best days and the happiest events kind of are tinged with a little bit of sadness because of that. Because um, wherever you go, so that, so that it kind of follows you around. Um, social situations are a bit difficult sometimes. Um, I, don't, I, I don't, I have never been able to figure out why crowds are sometimes difficult when you're grieving, but they are. Um, most of the reason is small talk. Small talk is miserable um, because not because not because I'm an introvert, but because if you've lost somebody and you're going through that, you're dealing with huge things. Like 
you're thinking about death. You're thinking about what am I going to do? And then somebody comes and says, hey, how's Timmy doing in soccer? Or talk to, like, you know, and it's just like, uh, it's like a shift of gears that's very hard to get there. Um, meeting new people will likely bring some questions. Uh, talk To walk alone into uh, a room full of couples is is hard. Um, if, they've, if you've lost your spouse, um, it can be a, just a soul-crushing reminder of, of what you had or lost. Or um, if you've invited someone in the midst, this is, this is just a tip. If you've invited someone in the midst of grief to your holiday event, and this could be your family, this could be family, if they lost their spouse or uh, whatever, just let them know that you understand if it seems too hard that they can cancel last minute because sometimes that's what they have to do. Don't give them a hard time. Just, just don't. Just be like, hey, I'll make you a plate of food, and I'll send it over there. Um, it's just hard sometimes. Uh, yeah. Extended, fam- <laughs> Extended family can be awkward <laughs> and uneasy. Grief is, o- is often awkward, but um, you also have Uncle Rico. <laughs> that's Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> that's there. Uh <laughs> Uncle Rico, who's going to put his nose in your business and be like, you should be done grieving. You've grieved enough. Or whatever, that awkward thing. I, I'm just saying it's that person, whoever that person is in your family, your friends or whoever it is, just kind of be there as an ally to, to kind of defend against it. Because everyone grieves differently. Everyone everyone goes about that completely different. Um, and, you know, some of us, a lot of times, or or it goes into that no one, everyone kind of ignores it, like nothing's different, everything's different. Don't bring it up, and it makes the it makes that person feel like that their their spouse, their loved one, whoever it was, didn't even exist. And it's weird. Just be real. Does that make sense? It just needs to be acknowledged so you can move on. But um, tears are not a problem. Um, I think most of us have. You know, I'm a man. I don't cry. So I don't know anything about this part. But for most of us, grief tends to work itself out in tears. Uh, tears come sometimes when we don't expect, like I just said, like saying something uh, that reminds us of something. Um, but tears tears don't mean that somebody's doing something wrong or not grieving well. Usually it means that they are grieving well um, because they're still thinking about it and moving through it. Tears are, um, or tears don't reflect a lack of faith. Tears are a gift sometimes. Helps wash away the deep pain in life. I mean, we all make fun of like, oh, I just had a good cry. Like I've heard that numerous times. Not from many men. I have not, I have not, nor have I said that, honestly. I don't think I've ever said, oh, I just had a good cry. That's never been me. That's never happened. But I'm sure it would feel good. Um, but I can tell you that um, you know, I have cried in front of our staff more than a couple times. Probably more than, more than I should have. <laughs> um, dealing with um, loss, dealing with um, 
stuff I let creep in my life even, um, owning up to that. There, I mean, sometimes tears happen. Don't be afraid of tears. If somebody is crying in front of you, they trust you enough to cry in front of you. John D. Giovanni, if he's watching this, I don't know if he is. He's the first person I cried to. <laughs> if, you know, if you know John, his face was like, I don't know what to do with this. Because it was out of nowhere. He was like, ah. We were in his car. And he's like, just staring at me like, yeah, yeah, okay. Everything's going to be okay. You know. And sometimes that's all you need. I just needed somebody. Um, yeah, enough about crying. Uh, be patient with them. Grief is a marathon, not a sprint. It also comes in waves. Don't assume that that person is over it just because you see them smiling. They could leave and go to their favorite restaurant and break down. It goes in waves. Now, there's, there's a, there was a whole portion here I, I cut out because whatever, but it included things that you shouldn't say. Uh, most of them are obvious. Don't say heaven got an angel or something dumb like that, um, whatever, <laughs> the other ones. Really all the people really need, and I hope it's honest behind this, not just saying it, but I love you and I'm praying for you. Don't even go to let me know if you need anything because to be honest, you should tell them, hey, I'm going to bring you food tomorrow. I'm going to drop food off. It's harder for that person to be like, to accept help saying, hey, I really need this. Unless you're like real, real close. That was one of my hardest things. But I had people that tracked me down. <laughs> to wrap up, it can be a hard, <laughs> it can be really hard to remember why Christmas should be so merry. In Old Holy Night, we sing the thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. Grieving people around you feel the weariness of life and death in this world. And sometimes even wonder how anybody can be, re be rejoicing. Hmm. They are desperate some need the reality of Christ to break through their loneliness and despair. While we don't want to preach to them, we or preach at them, we do look for the opportunity to share with them this, the comfort and the joy that can be found in the coming of God himself in Christ to rescue us. The gospel. The life of Jesus that began in a wooden cradle will culminate and death on a wooden cross. But that death won't be senseless. It won't be a meaningless death. It'll be a death-conquering death, followed by a new resurrection life. The writer of Hebrews explains, the son became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power over death. 
The power, the power death has now to bring so much sorrow will not be the way it is forever. What Christ set in motion when he defeated death at that first coming will come to its full fruition when he comes again. This is our great hope in Christmas. And the hope that we have to share with people grieving around us. That yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The Christ who came as a baby and died as our substitute will one day return. And when he does, he will wipe away every tear. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying or pain anymore. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to have Angelica come up. She's just going to play a song for us as we head out of here. Father, we...